0: This podcast is not personal financial advice. You're listening to the Aussie Firebug Podcast, the financial independence podcast for Australians. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Aussie Firebug Podcast, the financial independence podcast for Australians where I interview clever people who have already reached or on their way to financial independence. Today I'm speaking to Chi Lam. An ex-team lead in the medical devices industry who lives in Sydney with his wife and two daughters. Chi was recently featured in an ABC article that I'll link to in the show notes, where he quit his full-time job in his mid-30s and redesigned his life so he could spend more time with his family. Chi was born in Vietnam and has an absolutely incredible story about how his mum and siblings made it to Australia that I won't spoil in the intro. Anyway, that's enough from me, guys. Let's get into it after a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our partners at ShareSite, the number one portfolio tracking tool for Aussie investors. ShareSite makes it ridiculously simple with automatic holdings updates, comprehensive tax and performance reporting wrapped up in an easy to use fully cloud-based system. My favorite thing about using ShareSite is how easy it makes tax returns. Simply generate your tax report at the end of the financial year and voila, you're done. And here's the best part. It's 100% free for users that have under 10 holdings. If you have over 10 holdings and want to sign up, make sure you use my link to get the first four months for free head over to aussiefirebug.com forward slash share site to receive this special offer even if you're signing up to the free plan using that link will score you four months for free if you ever decide to own more than 10 holdings within 60 days finish tax time with a click of a button using share by signing up today that's aussiefirebug.com forward slash share site for your free four months Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. I've got Chi here from the recent ABC article that was posted in the Facebook group that featured Chi's story about him quitting his full-time job uh, to look after his kids and to start a business. Welcome to the show, Chi. Hi, Matt. Thanks for that. No worries, mate. Now, you've got such an interesting life story, mate, and I'm keen to get into that. But firstly, I'm interested in the background of the ABC article. How did all that come about, mate? Did someone reach out to you? <laughs>
1: yeah, um, I have a friend, uh, Christian. He uh, he works at the ABC, and I think he's he's an editor on the ABC Everyday kind of column. And so he just um, messaged me one day saying, "Hey, um, I- I'd like to tell your story because he realized, you know, he knows that I've um, quit my full time job a while back." And I live
0: a fairly different life, I suppose, to a lot of us. So yeah, that's that's how it kind of all got started. Yeah, right. And were you aware that that story picked up a bit of traction in the fire, the Aussie fire discussion group on Facebook? <laughs> Someone point that out
1: to you? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a real coincidence actually, because um, I've I've got another friend. Uh, he and 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 he's part of that group. So the, I think it was that night where it went alive. The article. He said, hey, you know, your articles are on, on this fire group on Facebook. Uh, it's like 13,000 members and somebody's picked it up and, you know, there's comments and I go, oh, wow. <laughs> Funny that. And then the next day, um, the, the the writer, Pat, he uh, he called me up and said, you know what? The uh, the Aussie firebug wants to uh, wants to do a
0: podcast. So, it all kind of just, yeah, oh, it's all well, yeah. just coincidence, you know? It's, a, it's it's a small world, isn't it? Like, <laughs> Oh, totally, totally, mate. And there's so, I really, because I read the article and, you know, I read uh, most stuff that gets posted into the group. And I loved your story and there's there's elements of the fire community in your story, but there's so much more as well. your life is so interesting. And uh, I'm keen to chat a bit about it. But had you come across fire before? No, I haven't, which is the funny thing. Like yeah. you, you say there's there's elements of fire, but like I've heard of the term,
1: okay. Um, in the past, I've heard of the term fire and it means you know financial independence retire early but in terms of joining the group or or kind of learning more about what what kind of techniques are used by the fire group to achieve fire I, I'm, I'm really ignorant of that I, I just don't know i'm 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 uneducated so i guess i've <laughs> stumbled upon fire without really
0: realizing it but yeah that's kind of how it is well do you know what that is i'd even say that is the best way to do it so many people out there discover the fire movement at the end of their journey when they're already financially <laughs> independent, and they're sort of or they've retired from their you know wage slave corporate cubicle job and they go off to do something that they love doing, which is um you know obviously what you've done. I'm keen to keen to get into that, but it's it's so funny, yeah. People that discover it at the end and say, hey, I didn't even know this was a thing, but I've been sort of living this lifestyle for a decade. And now here he, you guys are all uh, on Facebook and on the various different forums and groups and everything. So it's, it's cool to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a thing because I think a lot of people want to be in that position. And yeah, I mean, it's it's just people go about it different ways, I suppose.
0: There's many ways to, to, to be able to achieve you know, that that end goal, I suppose. Absolutely. hundred different ways you can do it. And, and FIRE means different things to different people. It, like the whole retire early part is probably the most confusing to most. Financial independence, I think most people, can, like there's, a, there's pretty much a universal, you know, you have enough assets to generate an income, so you technically don't have to work. But then the retire early, there's so many hundred, you know, thousands of shades of grey there to what people actually want. And more often than not, I spoke to hundreds, maybe even thousands of people about fire and financial independence. And usually it's reclaiming your time back and doing something that you want to do um, because you want to do it. it. It can still be hard, but you're sort of in control of your life rather than you're forced to be at a job and um, other people are sort of dictating your life for you. Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. Like for me, it's, I mean,
1: I'm still working this, uh, like I'm working on the business that I'm working on, but everything else that comes with it, like just the the flexibility with time, not having I suppose a boss in in a way and just being able to utilize the time that in a way that I feel uh, you know' the, the, the way that I want. yeah um, that that's the biggest thing. and you know you, you say retire early, uh, what would you do when you retire? I mean
0: you, you, you would you't just sit there and become vegetable or something you know <laughs> you got to do something and, and it's uh, just everyone gets tripped up on that like we don't' I've, I've yet to meet one person G. I've yet to meet one person that wants to sit on the beach and sip. Mojitos all day, seven days a week. There, there is <laughs> yeah. no one because yeah. usually people in the fire community, you know, we're hitting financial independence in here. Some people, if they're lucky enough, their twenties, their thirties, their forties, and their fifties, you got like heaps of energy and time, and they're they're some of your best years, your best decades to do the most meaningful and the the best work that has the most purpose. Now we're jumping ahead a little bit. I want to I want to bring it back. Chi, for those out there that maybe haven't read the article and don't know who you are, can you just chat a little bit about yourself and what you're all about, mate?
1: Okay. So I was born in Vietnam in 79. We came to Australia in about 86. We were refugees and I pretty much grew up in Sydney. I went to school in, uh, we, we moved around Sydney, uh, mostly around kind of the, the southwest Sydney uh, parts. I've uh, since then, you know, I've, I did, I had my education here in, 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 in Australia. Uh, after graduation I kind of worked in the IT space in computer engineering and uh, mainly in the medical devices field and then um, yeah and I spent about two years in the UK uh, it was a bit of a I guess at the time everyone else was doing that <laughs> so so we joined our friends and and, and did that as well um, like on a working holiday uh, and then came back uh, settled down got married had kids and uh, and kind of Around the, I'd say, kind of after settling down, you are turn towards, you know, thinking about the future and uh, financial independence and, and that's kind of, yeah, from about you know, 2012 onwards, I'd say, uh, to now where, you know, our
0: kids are in primary school and, um, yeah,
1: that's, that's kind of roughly
0: my journey. <laughs> yeah. Now, there was an interesting, I think, a few paragraphs in the article about your journey to Australia if that's something you're comfortable, you know, going into because it was. Do you have any siblings, or was it just you and your mum that come across? Or yep. So I've got two younger sisters. So when we came out, it was actually three women and three
1: children. Uh, my, my dad didn't come with us, so it was my mum, my two aunties. Uh, I was six at the time, and uh, my sisters were four and two. Yeah, because we we're off roughly about two years apart. So yeah, my my dad didn't. Um, he, he he was a he, he was back in Vietnam, kind of organising these. uh these boats to kind of come out of Vietnam at that time. You know, as you know, it was after the Vietnam War and, you know, prospects, future prospects for anyone in Vietnam at that stage was not good to the point where you would, you know, a lot of people would risk their lives, everything, they would just pack it up and just go on these kind of rickety fishing vessels over a multi-day journey, I'd say, um, to try and kind of give their children a a better a better life in in, 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 in another country. Because at the time there were a lot of countries like the U.S., Canada, Australia, they were taking in refugees. So that so everyone was kind of if they could, they'd do it. So my dad kind of stayed behind. He was kind of organizing some of that. And so yeah, we so 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 we went. And the kind of shocking thing about all that was, a few years earlier, my my mum actually had sisters, uh, siblings that went, and and they actually were never heard of again. So God knows what happened to them. Wow. But even with that knowledge, we still went, which was like if you ask my mum now, she'd say, yeah, don't know what we were, you know, don't know what she was thinking back then to kind of um, like things must've been so bad that it was worth it. It was still worth it. And it's like, it's hard to comprehend when you're living in a country like Australia, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's, it's, it's very like, (laughs) it's almost out of movie basically in the middle of the night, you would uh, sneak out, you would kind of ride out on bicycles to like a a, a fishing village out in Vietnam, uh, one of the, you know, Regional villages somewhere, and you'd like board a dinghy, and you'd then be rowed out to uh, a, a, the bigger fishing vessel. Um, everyone, and so I guess people who were boarding that boat would all kind of come from different directions, and then everyone would be kind of crammed in, and then kind of off you went. Yeah, I mean it was it wasn't a <laughs> it wasn't a comfortable journey. I think I got uh, I got seasick, um, and I got kind of I think I think I must have had the cold or flu or something along the way. I remember being really sick during most or half at least half of that journey. Yeah, like just the whole, the fear of it. Like there was, there was, uh, I I distinctly remember the fear of death, even at that age, because those, like I remember the seas were really uh, um, high, you know, they, uh, I was seasick and, um, and then we ran into pirates, (laughs) as you do, Um, as, as do many, I I think, because um, there's, there's stories of kind of boats before and after us who, where they just, where they probably, Killed everyone, or you know, the boats were found with no one in them. Things like that. Yeah. Uh, so we so we got attacked. Um They they kind of took everything uh, everything they could find uh, from us. They took a few of the women onto their ship. We were kind of surrounded, really. So there wasn't really. You couldn't really put up a fight. Not not when the you know, the majority of the the people on our boat were just women and children. And yeah, and we were probably you know hungry and weak. And then uh, I think they stuffed up our engine too. This is what my mum tells me, I think. And then so we were just floating around in in, in the ocean, kind of not knowing if we are going to survive or not. And then um, another bunch of fishermen, I suppose these were kind of nicer people, <laughs> helped us out. Uh, maybe helped – I think they helped us fix the engine or whatever. and uh, Gave us food and water. I, me- I remember having some really oh, fishy congee. <laughs> um, that was kind of bleh. Anyway, um, and then – yeah, it kind of maybe showed us the way, uh, and and we kind of, and when we arrived in Malaysia, I think the journey was about five days. So it was five days at sea. Arrived in Malaysia, and and there was a rif- and there was a refugee camp there. So that was kind of like, and it's a very typical journey. Like if if you've read uh, Ando's book, The Happiest Refugee, I, I haven't. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I when I first read it, I, I was I, I got a bit emotional because I was like, wow, this is bringing back memories in a way. I mean, his journey was that that very first part anyway was very similar to mine. But yeah, it's. I think it's a very common story if you if you speak to anyone who kind
0: of came out to Australia around that time, mate. That is first of all, thank you for sharing that. Um, You're that welcome. is just <laughs> an incredible story. Like I, 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 can't even compute going through that. <laughs> like I, I've spoken yeah. a few times on this podcast about um, my Italian grandparents, my nonna and nonno coming across immigrating from Italy. And packing up their whole life, and how that immigrant mentality. Um, I think there's a certain toughness to those people that were, they had to go to another country where they didn't speak the language and they had to start again. And you just, I, I, you know, sometimes you hear some complaints with my generation, the millennials, and you just think, wow, like imagine going back then and doing <laughs> what they had to do. But, mate, your story is far (laughs) exceeds what my grandparents went through. Like that is just (laughs) insane. And the fact that pirates attacked you in the middle of your journey, like yeah, I can't even believe that. (laughs) That is so much trauma and such an obstacle to get over to to Australia, just to get into the country or like to Malaysia first. And then I'm sure you you come across. Do you think that shaped your money habits? Or I'm sure like your parents, when they did get to Australia and, and- I'm not too sure you can you know educate me on what happened after that, but when they got um to Australia, like did you always have a a sense that you need to um save and sort of you know work really hard and like was that mentality sort of ingrained to you as a kid? So you know I, I was six at the time, so for a lot of it, I was a
1: passenger observer, I think. um it affected me probably in in different ways. Um, I think in terms of saving, it affected my mum, and so she you know, she came over here with nothing, not, not speaking a language. And so it was, it was all about working hard, saving money, send the kids to, to school because that kind of generation, it was all about education because education wasn't free in Vietnam. You know, you, if you weren't rich enough, then you don't get an education. Yeah. So, so for her that, I think that that's the effect. And that's what that she was expecting, I, sp- I suppose, you know, coming to another country, different language, but the prospects, the the prospects for her and her children was kind of what she wanted for us. I mean, I guess for me, how that journey shaped me and my kind of thoughts is, I don't know, I think I have a greater appreciation about how lucky I am and and how lucky we are in Australia. So, you know, I've been back to Vietnam a few times and when you kind of um, see, you know, like where you're born into which family really dictates the quality of your life, uh, like it kind of sets a starting point anyway, you know. Then you kind of think, well, if you've got the opportunity to give back, then that's probably the right thing to do. (laughs) So that's kind of how it affects me.
0: I think not so much the money side, but well, we're going, yeah, we're going to get into like this incredible story so much more than money management. Um, But I'm always interested in seeing how, The experiences that people go through do affect their decisions and their money management skills and everything because there seems to be a running theme. But if you don't mind me asking, was it the north or south of Vietnam where you're from? Because the only reason south, okay, because I I was born in Saigon. So Saigon, right? Yeah, Yeah, cool, cool. Mm. And now it's uh, Ho Chi Minh. Ho Chi Minh City. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because me and my wife, or now wife, are. we went. We started at the south in um, Ho Chi Minh, and we went all the way up north uh, on a on a motorbike, half, half the trip anyway. And we did the uh, the high van pass and everything. So um, yeah, I've been a, a, around Vietnam a fair bit. So did you enjoy it? I mean, it's a beautiful country. Loved it, absolutely. Yeah. The food the, is awesome. I oh, love the food. There. The the, the, yeah. the Banh ba me is it the uh, the bun me <laughs> bun me yeah that yeah, yeah. yeah we absolutely <laughs> annihilated many of those. And um, what's the the lantern city? Um, yeah, there's a really cute town. Uh, and I'm sure people- I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing out names. Is it, is it, is it Natrang? <laughs> Natrang, all no. The, all, I went the there as well. Names. I went there as well, but um, I'm sure people are listening, like yelling it out that I, yeah, I just can't yeah, remember yeah, it yeah. now. But yeah. Um, yeah, right. So let's shift gears a little bit. So you've come to Australia. Now, I read in the article that you and your wife, is it, are property investors? Is that uh, yep, correct? Me yep. Yeah. So talk me through, how did you get started investing in property and when did that begin- why were you drawn to property? I'm just really keen to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yep. Um, so it, it all started, I think, in about 2012 was when we first we bought our first investment property. Now I, I already had a property uh, prior to that, but I didn't have a plan. And I think the the important thing is if you if you go into property investing without a plan, I don't think your results are going to be as good. And the inspiration for our plan was actually from my mum. Funny enough, she she owned a, a house in uh, Sefton. It was a corner block. Um, and what she did was she built a granny flat at the back, and she ended up moving into the granny flat and renting out the front house. So when you look at that, and the rent you can get from a granny flat with a kind of side street entrance, it's a, it's almost like a little house by itself, right? That that would turn your Sydney uh, property, which is always going to be negatively geared, into like a neutrally geared or even positively geared property. So that was our blueprint. So in about two thousand twelve to about two thousand seventeen, for about a five year period, we we were just on a, like a, a property accumulation sort of a phase. Um, where we just we just bought properties uh, as many as we could. I think we ended up buying four. Um, where it was a simple buy, um, renovate the front house, build the granny flat the back, rent them both out. The, it, the rental income then becomes high enough such that you know you can just refinance, take that deposit back out, move on to the next one. Now this was all before APRA <laughs> kind yep, of came in of and course. reduced all the borrowing yep. capacity down. So yeah, we so that that was pretty much uh, what we did over that period, and it was it was all because. You know, we, 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 well, I, I guess we, we figured that, um, in order to, to achieve financial independence with our jobs alone and savings, we were never going to get there. We would probably work till we retire, uh, or sorry, retirement age. And, and so that wasn't what we wanted. So we decided, you know what? Yeah, we're just going to have to, we want to. It wasn't like we were pushed to. We, we want to do this. We want to achieve financial independence at that time via this method. Um, which is property investing.
0: Yeah, awesome. Now, a thought just occurred to me um, while you were speaking there. You know, being an an Australian and living here for many years, that property investing is such a big thing in Australia. It's like almost a religion, right? I'm keen to know, do people talk about or invest as heavily in real estate in Vietnam. And is there that culture of like the Australian dream or the Vietnamese dream is to own your own block of land? Like, is there any of that over there? I'm just keen to for the dynamics. Yeah.
1: To be honest, I don't think I've, I'm qualified to answer that because I'm, I'm so far removed from kind of what, you know, like I left there when I was quite young. I can only speak kind of from my uncles who are still back there. Who, yeah. And I think more recently, like I think the Vietnamese property market probably in the last maybe 10, 15 years has really blown up in terms of skyrocketed. Prior to that, probably not so much, but I think it's only because they've kind of opened it up to the world, you know. There's a lot more uh, foreign investments. There's a lot more uh, development uh, infrastructure, like the centre of Saigon's, like, you know, massive high-rises and, and 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 the way that some of the young'uns, uh, you know, the well-off young'uns live they're uh, very much like how we live here, you know, in, in, in luxury apartments or whatnot. So... I'd say, yeah, probably more recent. It's more of a recent thing.
0: Yeah, right. And th- the main reason I ask because of your story about your mum, you know, doing that renovation and hustling, hustling in real estate and, you know, like doing something, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, maybe yeah. there is like, a, you know, the same sort of um, mentality in uh, Vietnam. But, yeah, that's that's fair enough if if it's popping off now. Yeah.
1: I've never asked her what what, uh, what made her do the granny flat build at the back. Probably my uncle because my, my uncle uh, – was very much into the real estate when he came over here as well. So he's done quite well for himself in terms of real estate.
0: And maybe I think it was an influence from that. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. So you went down the real estate path. Now, this is always, I find this is sometimes or most of the time an interesting um, answer, but when did you first come across the concept of financial independence? Because not everyone knows that it's, it's very possible to actually retire before your preservation age and before you can get to super, uh, you know, 60, 65 in Australia. A lot of people just think that's just what people do. They work full-time until they're 60 and then that's it. Like, did you read a book or come across something?
1: (laughs) You know what? I I agree with you and I think I still didn't – I didn't even know that, like, to be honest. Like, I I didn't know there was a way, a prescribed way. I don't know if there is, actually. Uh, If there's a prescribed way to reach fire that's relatively – Easy to do? I
0: don't know. Is that is that right? I, I would say it's not easy per se, but, but it's, it's doable. doable. Yeah. I think yeah. Like if you show people that it's doable, I know for me, speaking for myself, once that was like the light bulb went off on my, in my head. And once I realized that like you can just buy a whole bunch of assets and you just keep buying them, like it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. That changed my whole life. And I'm wondering if something similar happened to you.
1: No, I think for me, it was just a, a matter of, well, how do I produce passive income? I think that, 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 that was a major theme. And so, at the time when we were buying property, it's all about increasing or you know being able to have uh, high rent. Because I, th- I remember I read a book; it was "Positive Yield Properties" by Stephen McKnight or something.
0: He he was my he was my guy back. I used yeah. to invest in properties, and now yeah. sort of I've moved to the share market more. But Stephen McKnight was my favourite um, property author in Australia for sure. Yeah,
1: so he had me thinking as well. So I think a lot of his properties were kind of you know out in the regional areas and all focused on high rental yield, which would give him the financial independence. You, you could argue that long-term, it may not give him the the biggest amount of net capital growth. So it's a case of you've got to balance, you know. Um, and at the time, like I, I thought about buying in other states and, and, and for higher yield, for lower cost. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I figured I, I didn't want to travel to to, to manage the, the granny flat builds or to check to inspect and all that. And so at the end of the day, I just chose well, Sydney. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just pick. I'll just grab the 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 corner blocks, and I'll just yeah do this, and just keep rolling.
0: See how far we can go. <laughs> yeah, and hey, speak. You know, looking back now, what a fantastic decision! Like, if you started in twenty twelve and you bought yeah. any Sydney real estate until now, like I, yeah. I could only imagine how much it's worth now. So, um, <laughs> it's that's incredible. Right, yeah. yeah. And was there a burning desire? to achieve something or was there stresses in your you and your wife's work that that caused you to invest like most people want to free up a bit of their time but I'm keen to sort of understand your mindset on that
1: yeah i think around that time i'd gone through a period where so prior to that time i was very much uh, after coming back from europe i was very much uh, back into my career i was trying to then uh, advance my career and trying to find fulfillment and happiness in that for a while, I think I was fairly successful. Um, You know, I, I got into the job, I got promoted to team lead and I was enjoying that role for a while. But over probably a year and a half, I kind of lost, I don't know, like just lost the fire and also got a bit burnt out, I'd say. Um, and that kind of made me kind of reevaluate everything. And at, also around that, that same time, our, our daughter was born. Uh, she was born in 2012, Um, our first daughter. And um these things affect you and kind of what you value changes over time. So for us, I think at that time we, we value the, you know, the family time and, and kind of the future. And if we wanted to spend, yeah, I mean, just, just wanting to spend more time with our, uh, our kids was part of the reason um, later on when, when
0: I did kind of quit my job. Can I ask you Chi, what were you doing? What was your full-time job previous to uh, before you quit? I was a test automation engineer.
1: Yeah. I, I was a validation engineer. Um, in, in a medical device company. And yeah, so, so so that was the full-time job that I quit because then what I ended up getting um, just, I guess, by chance was um, a friend of mine who worked at another medical device company said, hey, you know what? We've got a part-time job that's available if you wanted to go for that. Um, and that was also a medical device company and I was in test automation. So it was still kind of software, hardware, computer related. Yeah, right. And were you doing the standard uh, like 38, 40-hour weeks? and the full-time job? Yeah. Um, I'd say... Even more during the um, during the team lead role, like it was quite stressful. Just amount of time commitment I I, I kind of had to put in, and you know, our daughter was born, and just being a parent for the first time, and all those well, probably all lack contribute of, lack to of the, sleep to the burnout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like oh my, my goodness, I think for a year or so, I was just going to work as a zombie and yeah. just being in meetings and just kind of. Losing 10, 15 seconds of you know just really not being unconscious almost. Go, what?
0: What, what? What just happened? Who said what? <laughs> I've seen, I've seen it happen with new parents, and I, you know, me and my wife, we we plan to have a, a child um, soon. You know, fingers crossed, everything goes well. And it's just that, like people say, you're never prepared for what I've been told, but like you just you adapt and you learn to live on four hours Absolutely. sleep. And <laughs> I, I I'm, I'm like, I'm definitely with you, mate. I want to be able to. Spend, not only spend time with my kids, but be able to choose, uh, have a bit more flexibility in my life when, yes. I'm, when I'm in such a deprived state. Um, yep. Because also as well, and I'm sure that you can attest to this, that it's not just – the 40 hours a week that you're clocked on for or that you're paid for. If you're definitely in a, a team leader role like yourself, there's so many little things that you're doing after hours that are taking up your time, taking up your mental capacity. You're thinking about it. You're anxious about it. And then on top of that, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you were working in the city. This was pre-COVID, so you'll probably have to be on site five days a week. Is that right?
1: Well, it was actually out at Bella Vista.
0: Oh, okay. Right. But it
1: was in an office. Yeah, it wasn't at home. It wasn't working from home. And we were living in the city at the time. <laughs> oh, right. (laughs)
0: right, so what what was the commute time for that? I was an hour each way. Well, there you go. So two hours commute, five times a week, getting prepared for work, um, going to work, coming home from work, de-stressing. Like it's so much more than the 40-hour week. If people actually sat down and mapped it all out, like the amount of time that you're dedicated to a job is massive. It's massive. absolutely. And, yeah, yeah, I just think like the thought of doing, especially doing something that you don't particularly love, like my old job, it was all right. It was good. There was parts of it that I liked, but the, you know, if you, if, if I won a hundred million dollars, there's no way I'd be rocking up <laughs> five days a week at it. Like let's not yeah. get it twisted. Um, So I just think it's madness that, yeah, like so, the society has sort of <laughs> pigeonholed us to be like, we have to work or most people work 40 years in the one job. And yeah,
1: I mean, I, I I have to defend the job in a way because, you know, when, when you first start out, you've got to start somewhere, right? And, uh, absolutely. and you've got to start earning that income. And, I remember, I, I, I remember distinctly, you know, be, be, being uh, studying computers and computer engineering and everything, you could work in multiple fields, but I kind of chose the field of medical devices, one, because I had an interest in it, and two, because I think it, it, it does good things for, for, for people, you know. It's a, it's a good industry kind of to be in. And and also felt that because of that, it gives you a bit more fulfilment. So, so when you're slaving away and you're wondering why am I here, at least you can kind of think, well, you know what, I'm, I'm making light, people, other people's lives better so, that, that was kind of motivation to keep going. Um, so, for a long time, it was a fulfilling job. Like it's not, It wasn't like I, I hated the job the whole time. It was just as time progressed and as I progressed into the next phase of my life with, you know, children and everything, my priorities changed and, and what's important to me has changed
0: type thing. And that's kind of – and that's why I, I quit. It wasn't – yeah, I think. That's a, a very good point that you make, mate, because I think that I think work, contrary to popular belief, but most ninety nine percent of people in the fire community think that meaningful work with purpose is awesome, and I want to do that forever. I'll do that to the day I die. It's just the all the corporate BS, the office <laughs> politics, the the you know cubicle drone work. That is the stuff that is like life. It drains you. Of yeah. your your <laughs> passions and everything,
1: yeah, and I think some of that was the cause of, of kind of why I quit, um, or why I kind of stepped aside from the team lead role because like, there was a bit of politics and all that. Um, now you know, in fairness, I, I'm probably not the sort of person that enjoys that. Whereas I think some people may enjoy that sort of environment. That's true. And they would prosper. Yeah. And, and they would go on go on and be you know become CEOs and whatnot. Um, so I think it just really just depends on the person. But I would say, yeah, you're right. The majority of people probably does not enjoy that sort of environment. Whereas, yeah. It's a minority, I think, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's talk about the day that you quit your job. What made you take that leap of faith? Was it something that you'd been thinking about for a while? Or uh, like walk us through actually doing that because that's such a big deal, especially if you hadn't come across, you know, the FIRE movement and there wasn't a community of people like supporting you with this decision and you run all your numbers. Like what was that like, mate? Okay, well, well, let me think. I mean, at the time, obviously, it wasn't a, a, a decision
1: that was made lightly. I spoke about it at length with my wife and she's been really supportive the whole time. I mean, she, I think she was going through her, she was in her maternity leave and she was about to come out of it or something. And so she still had a job that she really enjoyed. And that was our backup basically. So, you know, without her, her full-time salary, I, I couldn't have done it obviously. But when we spoke about it and kind of, and, and, and it comes down to just me not being happy at the end of the day as well, like, and her supporting me, the fact that, there's no point you being in a job that you're unhappy with. You might as well go. <laughs> Absolutely. Even though going would mean a bit of uncertainty, not knowing where your next job was going to be, um, if it was going to be lower pay. I, I remember I, I had I definitely had things to do because the properties that, I, that we bought, um, you know, one by one, needed to be renovated. So I had to engage in contractors and be on site. And I was doing that whilst I was doing a full-time job. But then, it, yeah, it would have been so much easier if I just did that initially. And- yeah. So that was that sort of to look look forward to. Yeah. Did
0: that give you comfort knowing that you had assets that were making you money whilst you sleep? Yes. See, that's, that's the power of investing, isn't it? Like that's, it and is. this is where, <laughs> you know, the fire community, we obviously built up an enormous snowball uh, before and, and everyone's different. Some people, they pull the pin on their sort of corporate drone life halfway through. So their portfolio might be only half of what they need to support their lifestyle, and then they might drop to part-time work. But like, I just think it's awesome, and that the whole concept of investing and sort of planting seeds and then harvesting that fruit many years later is, is so cool. Yeah, I mean, you you have to make your money work for you. Keeping money in cash is
1: dead, right? You've got to be buying assets. It's got to be growing. Money you don't need to use now should really be
0: in an asset that is growing. There's no reason to have it in cash. Yeah, yeah awesome, awesome. Okay, so. How has life been? What's what was the adjustment like when you quit your job? And you said, did you go into part-time work? Is that what happened?
1: Yeah, that's right. So, so after that, I, I, I did get that uh, part-time role at the other medical device company, and I was working three days a week. And eventually, that went to four days because they wanted me more. <laughs> but then I'd uh, during that time, I also was working on a side hustle, which eventually turned into my side, uh, my my now full-time business. So when that was at a point, when my business was at a point where I, f- I felt I-, I could quit that part-time job, that w- that's when I quit uh, completely, I suppose, and just worked on the business full-time.
0: Yeah, awesome. And as someone who is currently only working three days or 20 hours a week, <laughs> yeah. I know me personally, it is just a game changer to have <laughs> yeah. more days off in the week than you're actually <laughs> that you were actually yeah, working. We are so lucky. <laughs> speak, can you speak a little bit about that and like what your lifestyle was like when you made the change to part-time and like, was there anything that some people out there listening that might not be as obvious or just the benefits, if you could go into that?
1: So I, I think the switch for me anyway, the switch to part-time really gave me more time to then work on the business. That was for me, but I know not working that full five days a week, you know what it does? It gives you, mind space. It gives you thinking time. It, it, it gives you, cause you know, you know what it's, um, probably know what it's like where you work a full day, you know, you come home, you're tired, you don't want to think about the future. You just want to crack open a beer and, you know, just relax the rest of the night and just do that again and again. And so you've got no time. Yeah. Weekend you're out and about. And so you've got no time to plan about your future. You've got no time to think. And and so I found one of the things that's not obvious to anyone is that,
0: yeah, w- when you work part-time, you have the thinking time to plan for the future Absolutely, mate. I could not agree with you anymore because this podcast and my website, The Aussie Firebug, really only started, a, a, a massive reason it was started was because I was working for the government. I've worked for the government many, many years, but um, there's a bit of free time sometimes during your day. Like, you know, I'm not going <laughs> yeah, to yeah, lie. Yeah. Sorry. And to your point, your mental real estate, if you will, or how much capacity you can think and be creative and actually plan ahead is so diminished if you you are killing yourself at work. Because I did, me and my wife lived in London for two years. We did the whole UK thing. And I was working at, uh, I worked for contracts for Deloitte, uh, Honda, um, an insurance company. They were very high paying contracts, but extremely demanding, more demanding. That was the first time I worked in the private sector than I'd ever worked in government, which probably isn't too surprising for anyone out there (laughs) listening. Um, But I just remember that that was one thing that I specifically remember, was how little energy, time and creativity desire I had to do. I still did the podcast when I was overseas, but I was lucky to release a podcast like once every three months or something just because I was <laughs> buggered after the end of the day. Like to your point, I was like, just chuck on some Love Island, some yeah, rubbish yeah, reality TV right. you just show. Want de-stress. I, you just want to de-stress. And yeah, it, yeah. It's, I can definitely, there's something dangerous about that. And, and you know what? It's also the opportunity costs. Yeah. If you're not, if your
1: mind is not there to seize opportunities when they arise well, you've missed it, haven't you? So for me personally, I, I think this was back in what 2017 when I was working part-time and a company called Tesla came up, right? Elon Musk. And I now had a thing, uh, oh, I keep hearing this guy's name come up. But because I've got that extra time, I actually managed to kind of read his book, research the company. And since since then, I'd, I'd invested in the company and that's done really well. And and, it, and it's all because I had the time. Like I, I know if you work in five days a week, you probably don't have the time.
0: Exactly. Totally, man. I, I could not agree anymore. And like I'm sure a lot of people out there listening can relate to this, but like if you free up your time just a little bit, it's yeah. amazing. You almost got to schedule it in, eh? Hey? Yeah, you really do. And it's not even about just being, a you know, living a happier life and, you know, knocking out some stress in your life, but it, you really can make some – you can do your best work. You know what I mean? Like sometimes and, – and I really think that um, human beings, it's really funny that like we just sort of – we go to work it's 5 days a week and we're expected to just crank out linear output of work and we sort of i don't well for me anyway i don't work like that if i'm into something i can spend 18 hours a day doing it cuz i'm really into it it's like a sprint but then like we we rest and we recover and we we do other things, but this constant grind of five days a week, 40 hours, and as we spoke about, it's a hell of a lot more hours when you you factor in everything else. And then it's like Saturday I've got to play football, get drunk Saturday night, wake up hungover <laughs> Sunday, do all my washing, do all my cleaning, do all my shopping uh, for the week. Yeah. And then boom, I'm back in the kids. office. <laughs> it, exactly, man. That's yeah. that's yeah, I, I we're on the same page with that for sure, mate. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about your business. So what did you go into and what was the inspiration for that?
1: <laughs> well, legend has it, it all started with a blower package from Bunnings. <laughs> Christian will love that. He's, he's, he's the guy that, uh, you know, <laughs> is the editor. And it's funny because when, when Pat read it back to me, um, I, I laughed out loud over the phone. I hope I wasn't being rude, but I thought it was
0: hilarious that he kept it in there. I thought, what, you're going to leave that in there? <laughs> and I'll link to the article, of course, guys, in the show notes if you haven't read it. It's a good one. So, uh, yeah, so, so tell us. The, yeah, the I mean, it, it,
1: it was all kind of like, I guess my mind was always thinking, well, you know, what what else can I do to kind of, um, generate passive income. And the best way that I like, well, I going not say best way, but the one way that I thought, okay, you know, selling online is a good idea. Like, you know, y- y- your, your ads are always up. They, they're working for you when you're sleeping. Um, you just got to process sales when they come through. And, and so it all started, with just kind of, well, uh, I found something that's on special and I needed half of it, but I didn't need the other half. i just resell that on Gumtree. And I made, I can't remember if I made or I broke even, or maybe lost a bit, but the, the, the concept was there. And, and so, it evolved actually. It, it, it's, it's been a complete evolution. It wasn't, I didn't plan to start a business doing that. It just, it was actually initially just a hobby. I didn't make enough to, for it to be a business. You've seen an opportunity. Yeah, exactly. It's, and 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 it's all about kind of starting and, and just doing the little bits, like taking a step a day and just slowly working at it, slowly growing it. it it's And and so it, it turned into kind of buying, um, buying other products from overseas as well and now it's today uh, the business is importing um hi-fi equipment from from Europe and and reselling in Australia parallel importing uh, you know at, at much better prices than what you can get for local stock and and you know what it's a choice for the customer in Australia whether they want to buy you know a parallel import or they want to buy local stock so yeah i mean it's it's been pretty successful so far and it's slowly growing and and i'm sure it'll it'll evolve as well it's not going to it's not it's never the end state it's always it's always the journey, they say.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so this is something that's evolved into full-time work or is Correct. it something that you want? Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, so now the company pays me a salary. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And are you going to, is is there plans to um, expand it? And I'm sure that it's something that you're really passionate and uh, you love doing. And there are so many benefits. I'm, I'm a big fan of of online businesses and I'm sure we could talk a, a lot about them, but we only have so many um, <laughs> minutes left in the podcast. But um, yeah, it's um, an important thing to note as well. I guess if you've got your own company is you've still got the autonomy over your life and time. Is that what you find? Like that, if you do need to get stuff done, you can do it sort of on your terms?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly right. You know, I schedule my life around kind of the other activities. Yeah. You still got to run the business, but it can, sometimes it can wait. And yeah, it, it, and and it's a line of business that I kind of have an interest in
0: too, which is you know audio. I I, I quite like my good quality audio. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, it's so important. I I I think I actually did. I was helping my old man at one of his uh, properties, doing like a, not a renovation; it's more landscaping work. Um, and it's a bit of a reason why we had to push back the start date for this podcast. But I just thought, like, how lucky am I to be able to even do that? Like to sort of, to your point, schedule. Your work around your life, yep. As opposed to what majority of people do, is their schedule their their life around their work. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and
1: and yeah, I mean, time 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 with your dad and your family is really important, and you just you just don't know kind of how long that kind of
0: lasts. You know, like it's life is short, they say. Um, yeah, totally. Now switching gears a little bit. I really liked uh, to, on the article, you speak about your take on living a life with purpose. And you've said that you have two key themes when you're making a decision. The first is living a life with purpose gives you happiness. And the second is we don't have much time on earth. Have you always (laughs) lived by this philosophy or is it something that you've come across throughout your life? With the whole, uh, we don't have much time
1: on earth thing. I think it was probably in my twenties. There was one of those things that gets sent around and it was like a you might've seen it. It was a, a table with lots of little squares and each square represents a week in your life. Yes, And I've then you, they got colored in, you know, yeah. school, uni, uh, work, death. <laughs> and and this is where you are. <laughs> and when you look at that, I remember looking at that and I'm thinking, oh wow, that really puts things in, in perspective. Now that was always been at the back of my mind. And, and so I think more so now when I've got time, I, I, I try to spend it I suppose wisely, it's like money. You know, you want to make the most of that dollar that you spend. And, and and going back to the whole living life with purpose, it's for for me anyway. It's all I think it's always been the way I make decisions. So when 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 I was younger, I was um like I said, I, I could have worked um for for any other type of company. I suppose I could have worked in finance, could have worked in anything else, but um I, I chose medical device because I think that gave me more purpose, and and which would probably give me happiness. And I think you know we we're, we're all here on earth kind of to. To seek happiness, probably yeah, it's the, the at the highest level. That's that's all what everyone's trying to do, whatever happiness means for them. So yeah, that's that's kind
0: of what those two things were. Yeah, nice. No, it's, it, they're great life philosophies, mate. And I agree. You know, if you draw it down to the bare basics, most people are looking for either happiness or peace of mind or a combination of the two. And it does, and it doesn't. You know, people do. You know, people do acts of kindness just through throughout their own, you know, goodwill. But if you trace it back, it's probably because that's what makes them happy. You know what I that's mean? That's
1: exactly right. It's it's like the triangle of needs. You know, you know, you know that triangle. Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah, when yeah. When you satisfy the lower level ones, it doesn't make you happy anymore. You know, you're always fed, you're always uh ha- sheltered. Then you're looking for the kind of the higher level ones and giving back. And yeah, everyone's
0: just trying to be happy, I guess. And and <laughs> yeah, and that means different things to different people. Totally. That's right. And yeah. you can't. And some of the. The, the oxymoron of that is some things that make you happy, you have to go through incredible amounts of pain sometimes to, to get there or incredible amounts of stress. Like so I think about the greatest achievements in my life have gone through, you know, hellish times to get there. And then when you, you're you on top of the mountain, you're like, yeah, man, well, I Well, that's did that. when it's
1: worthwhile, right? Exactly. When, when you've worked really hard to achieve yeah. it, it's
0: just so much sweeter at the end. It totally is. Okay, I've got one last question for you, mate. Are you glad – you made the change when you did, quit quit quitting work all those years ago. And if you could go back in time Would you change anything? Ah, That's a tough one, eh? Um, Am I happy? Absolutely.
1: (laughs) It's given me so much more uh, freedom in terms of uh, how I allocate my time and what I do with my time, Um, so much flexibility. Now, would I change anything? This is always a funny one because, you know, there's a lot of uh, – there's a chain of events that kind of lead up to today, so I'm really grateful just kind of to be here, right? And if I was to change something, what's to say I I wouldn't be in the position I am today? It's like the butterfly effect. So, I, kind of the short answer is, well, no, I, I don't really want to change anything. I, I, I kind of, it's 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 come the way it has here, and I'm really grateful for it. And it's because of all the decisions that were made. You know, you, if you change something, you may not get here. Type thing. <laughs> I don't know. My sounds a bit sounds a bit weird, but if you're purely talking about say bad financial decisions or things like that or things that you could have done that were, but even in that um, respect, you you probably made the best decision you did at the time with the information that you had. So it's hard to kind of say, well okay, if you were to change your decision at the time, then would you have gone against the best decision you thought was at the time? So, you know, things like we've, you know, we've, we've I remember at the time when we left UK, uh, we, so we left for the UK, we had some money in, in Australia and we thought, you know what, let's let's just chuck that money into like managed funds because, uh, you know, that's doing better than you know, a, a long-term deposit. And guess what? When we got to the UK, the GFC hits. <laughs> oh, so we, no. our, our investments has plummeted. And, and, and us being kind of investment newbies, we we sold kind of towards the bottom because we couldn't take it anymore. Uh, you know, the smart move probably would have been to not sell and to hold on to it because it would have come back up. But, you know, being young and silly and not, not you know, inexperienced, I'd say, yeah, I mean, that, that's one thing probably that probably could have changed.
0: And for anyone out there listening that is considering quitting their job, taking that leap of faith and maybe pursuing something new, um, do you have any advice you would like to give to them?
1: Um, I, I'd say the biggest advice that I've been giving p- people who, who've asked is that whatever, like, you, first of all, you, ha- you have to, th- you have to plan it. Like you, you have to, it has to be a thing that you actively engage in, whether it's, you know, you you, you schedule some, some time aside to even think about it and, and to plan it and to start. I think that's the thing. Like, well, I guess I'm talking mainly about starting a side hustle, which could eventually then become a, a business that would then allow you to quit your job. Right. The, the thing that the advice there would just to be to start and, and to start small, don't go all in such that if it fails, you've lost everything. Always have a backup um, such that if you hit an obstacle you, or, you know, if things don't go right, you can always come back. And, and and don't be deterred by kind of obstacles that you think of today. It's very easy to think, oh, yeah, this is a great idea. And then think, oh, but this is not going to work. That's not going to work. That's not, And then you've stopped. And so you've never started. So I think just do it. It, it. It's just little steps, even if it means, oh, you know, just buying a little bit of this or doing a little bit of that. And when you do come to, uh, across an obstacle, well, then try and work around it. Try and figure it out. Only then, only when you can't figure that out,
0: do you maybe take a step back. So it's all about just starting and and starting small. Yeah, totally. I think a lot of people are a a lot more adaptable than they give themselves credit for. And Mm. it is so scary taking that leap of faith. Even the people in the FIRE community, they've built up these million-dollar portfolios and all their numbers make sense. All the math works out. And they still can't pull the trigger. They get to the top of the mountain, and they still can't jump off and fly because. So what's the fear there? I mean, if 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 they've got that, uh, if they've got the finances or kind of numbers all working out, what what's stopping them from, from from quitting? It's different for a lot of people. Like everyone, everyone's different, of course. But um, some people are scared. Like they're they're super conservative. You know, the four percent rule isn't enough. They need more money, one more year. You know, ten more thousand dollars in the portfolio, whatever it is. Some people, it's. They have an identity to their job and they don't know what they would be without their job. And that's to me is not the saddest situation, but it's like, if they were surrounded by people that maybe were encouraging them to pursue something that they really enjoy and had purpose in, um, I think it'd be a lot easier for them because I've, I've worked with people that are miserable at their job, but they're, they're rich enough to quit. It doesn't make any sense, but it just, it seems to be human psychology. Like, yeah.
1: Well, the, the, the advice I have for people who are you know rich enough to quit, let's say, and, and not wanting to would be think about kind of the time you are freed up afterwards and kind of what you can become afterwards, because that's, that's probably not obvious that, you could do something else that's a bit more fulfilling that maybe pays a bit less but still pays you or you could find a completely different path you know it could take you to, to somewhere else that you never would have even thought of at the beginning but you don't know until you
0: kind of free yourself from that time I want not say trap or sink but that's kind of what it is sometimes no, wise words Chi we've come to the end of the podcast mate thank you so much for coming on the pod sharing your story it was absolutely incredible to listen to and um, I'll definitely link the article in the show notes. And um, yeah, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks, Matt. It's been great. Thank you for having me here. And there you have it, guys. A big shout out to Chi for opening up and sharing his experiences with us. He mentioned after the pod that he'd love to have a beer with me if I was ever in Sydney. So I'm really keen to make the trip up soon now that all the COVID restrictions are winding down. I'd love to organize a fire meetup in Sydney too at some point. So if you're keen, please let me know. I'll most likely drop something in the Facebook group. As always, guys, if you are enjoying these podcasts and want me to make more, please consider giving me a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. That would be really great and spread the word. That's it from me, guys. I'll see you on the next episode. Catch ya. Thanks for listening to another episode. For all the show notes, head over to aussiefirebug.com. Never miss another episode by subscribing to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Nothing in this episode should be taken as personal financial advice. You should always do your own research when making any financial decision.